if you have uh, if you've yet to to join a house church, would encourage you to uh, talk to any of the people that you saw up here. You could talk to me. Um, meetings, times, and stuff like that is listed on the back of your bulletin. Um, there may be some. Uh, there will be some changes forthcoming to the the, the names listed on there. And, and the times and stuff like that, but um, house churches, as you've seen, powerful expression of the church of the of the Bible and uh, the ways in which the Spirit moves through the church, uh, so powerful in those expressions. So please, uh, please do talk to uh, talk to anyone that uh, you may know looks like they might be connected to a house church, and we'd love to get you pointed in the right direction. Um, when I was in <clears throat> when I was in ninth grade, I remember. Uh, in the guest room, for some reason, I slept in the guest room in my house, in, in, in my parents' house in Virginia, uh, on a black and white little TV. I remember one morning turning on the TV, and on that black and white screen, I saw uh, a black and white desert with lots and lots of black and white sand and black and white tanks moving across the desert. And the announcer said, Operation Desert Storm is underway. And then he said in a voice that I still remember, he said, ladies and gentlemen, we are at war. And I, I remember that being like so surreal to me because as for as long as I remember, at least in, in, in my uh, somewhat grown up life as a, as a 14, 15 year old person, I, I never really remember. I, mean, I heard about the Cold War in 1984, 1980s with, uh, with, with the Soviet Union, things like that. But to know that we are in a war I knew immediately that something was going to be different, that something had to be different, because there's a different way that we live when we're at war versus when we're at peace. And I remember right, running into my brother's room saying, we're at war with Iraq. I remember telling my parents, we're in a war. What does that mean? What does that mean that we're living in a war? Because I knew that things could not be the same. Let me ask you a question. Do you realize that our life is encapsulated in a war? This was a question that A.W. Tozer asked in another generation. He said, how do you see life? Do you see life as a playground or do you see life as a battleground? How do you see life? Because the answer to that question is going to change everything about life, everything about the way that we live. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, there are 90 accounts of the people of God going to war. 90 times, and in my Old Testament, that's 809 pages. That means once for every nine pages, every nine pages, the people of God are being reminded that they are in a war, that they are at war, that life is a war. And then you come to the Newer Testament, and Jesus says the same thing. There is a war all around us. Nation will rise against nation. Brothers will turn against brothers. Fathers will will betray their children for the sake of the war that we're involved in. The Apostle Paul, you can't read any of his writings without seeing the fact. He calls people in Philippi fellow soldiers. He says to Timothy, fight the good fight. He says soldiers, military people, people at war should not get involved in civilian affairs. And then in his magnum opus of the gospel, of the church rather, in Ephesians, he talks about putting on the armor of God because our battle is not against flesh and blood. Do you realize... Do you realize that the life we live and the world in which we live is set in the context of a cosmic conflict and that we are living at war? Because unless we realize that, if we don't see it, most of the things accused in the world are telling us that life is a playground. 
Music, media, movies are all telling us, TV shows are telling us that life is a playground. It's about having as much fun as you can have. It's about making as much as you can, having as many toys as you can, maximizing pleasure and fun and all of those things. And it doesn't tell us that we're living in a war. How do you see life? Because the reality, as you can see, is that there's a battleground, but sometimes all we see is the playground around us. How do you see life? Because the way that you see life, simply because we ignore the fact that life is, because we don't see the fact that life is war, does not negate its existence and its reality. I want to talk about that. Exodus chapter 17, uh, Exodus 17, uh, verses 8 through 16. Uh, This is... Um, this has been kind of a, a burden on my heart for actually only the past couple of days, but um, yeah, I just felt like this is something that I, I um, was being placed in my heart as we commissioned these shepherds, as we commissioned our group going to Ecuador um, to continue to understand the need for us to see uh, that life is war. Exodus 17, verses 8 through 16. This is God's word. Uh, The Amalekites, these are the enemies of Israel. Um, They came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I'll stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. Whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, for hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. This is God's word. The Amalekites come from, they're the people descended from uh, a man named Esau. Esau had a brother named Jacob, out of which the people of God, the Israelites, came. So uh, Esau, in one of the the, the primary passages, talks about Esau's relationship with Jacob. Uh, Jacob stole the birthright from Esau because Esau could not contain his appetite for soup. And so the Amalekites represent those who follow their passions. They follow their longings. They follow their desires They were people of the world, whereas the people of God descended from Jacob. The Israelites were ones who sought to follow God. So they were from that time forward at odds and at war with each other. And this is just one of the 90 times that the Israelites go to war. And it captures this account. So what do we see as we look at this, as we look at life? I I just want to bring out three thoughts about what happens uh, in in that contrast between life as a playground versus a battleground. The first thing we see, if life is a playground... It's all about us. But if life is a battleground, then it's all about the mission. You go to a playground and you play. Hey, I want to play on the swings. I want to play on the slide. I want to play on the jungle gym. I want to swing on the monkey bass. That's fine. You can do that. It's it's your world, squirrel. We're just trying to grab an acorn. That's fine. Do it. 
It's a playground. It's all about you. But if it's a battleground, then life is not about you anymore. It's about the mission to which you have been called. Look at what it says. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Hey, he didn't say ask any of them, hey, uh, anybody want to go out and fight? Anyone who's scared, just stick around. He said, you go and choose. And so Joshua went around and he chose some of the people to come and fight. He chose some of them to say, hey, we got to go and we got to fight in battle. Your life is at stake and you may lose your life because many occasions when the Israelites fought in war, they ended up not coming home. They ended up being dead on the battlefield. So Moses says, Joshua, choose some of these people to go. And when they went, maybe there was a sense in which they said, why'd you choose me? I didn't want to go. I don't want to go. But they go, right? They go. Why? Because they realize that they're part of a mission that is bigger than their lives. If life is a playground, then fine. You can have your cake and eat it too. It's all about you. It's all about how you want to live life. But as soon as we realize that life is a battleground, it's no longer about me. It's no longer about what I want. It's no longer about how I want to do things. It's about what is the mission that is being accomplished in the world and how can I be involved in it? And if we begin to see that life is a battleground and that Jesus Christ is our commander in chief, then we've been enlisted into an army and we're called to go forth to do certain things that may not feel altogether right with us sometimes. But that's what it means to see that life is a battleground. That is not about us. It's for the sake of a mission. And our mission, as, as we heard about here, is about depopulating hell and seeing the kingdom of God advance so that the glory of Christ might be known amongst the nations. And we can't do that if life is all about us. I was talking with, uh, with one of my buddies who, who just spoke at this retreat, and he's been out of the, the uh, Asian American church for, for many years now. And he said, hey, you know, as I look at the landscape of the, uh, the church, I see a lot of uh, next generation churches that aren't doing well. Why? And I said, I don't know why, but I, I can tell you one thing. I tell you one thing, that we don't know what it is to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of a mission that's bigger than our own. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's like our parent generation who came from a wartime mentality, they knew what it was to sacrifice. Today, if we ask people, hey, you want to uh, get involved and serve church? You want to do something for the kingdom of God? The first question that runs through our minds often is, is it convenient for me? That the gates of hell will never be threatened by a church that asks that first question, is it convenient for me? Do I have the time? Do I have the money? Do I have the energy? I don't have those things, therefore I'm not going to do anything. The kingdom of God is going to falter and sputter and it's not going to move anywhere. And I think to, to, to the sad, uh, the tragic reality, that's the reality of many churches in America. a sad reality that we have not learned what it is to sacrifice for the sake of a mission bigger than our own we sacrifice for things but we sacrifice for all the wrong things but i don't have money to give uh to 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 bringing people out of darkness and into light i don't have money to give for my 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 10 percent. why because all of my money is going to my sacrifice i've made for my uh, my car payments so i'm driving a whatever it is that we drive and there's, there's, there's something about being generous, which is great, but there's another thing about being sacrificial. Uh, you understand what I'm, what I'm talking about. Some people can give a lot, but they're not really giving a lot. 
There's this, this idea of sacrifice that causes us to say, what am I going to live my life for? Hey, what am I going to give myself to? Could it be that there's so many people that wanted to go and do the work of God, but they can't because they don't have the financial resources to do it? I think about in, in, in Ecuador, uh, Pastor Henry and, and, and his wife, out of 30 seminary graduates, only two of them are in ministry right now. Why? Because the other 28 can't afford to be a pastor in Ecuador because they don't get paid enough because there's just not enough money. What would it look like if we began to, to think about what does it mean? How can I give? Not on myself. We sacrifice for our children's education in order that they can become great, but we don't think about what it means to sacrifice for the things that really matter. Not that our children don't matter. They do matter. But, but what would it look like if we began to think, if, if, if life is a battleground, it, it, the study said if every Christian in America tithed, gave their 10%, every person who says I'm a believer gave their 10%, then cancer would be cured, all world hunger would be, poverty would be cured, there would be clean water for everybody, life would be a whole lot different. If we began to think that I'm in a battleground and I have to choose what I have to sacrifice for, because a lot of times we sacrifice only for the things that, 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 that are, make sense to us. But the kingdom to which God calls us is a countercultural kingdom. We say, oh, I don't have time. I don't have time to go to these things at church. I don't have time. I don't have three hours a, a, a week to, to go to these things, these different events at the church. But we gladden, I said this two weeks ago, but we make time for other things. We rearrange our schedules if it's a social gathering, a hangout, let's go watch a movie. And that's not a problem for us. And I think that is a problem for us. That's a problem for us. Because if you begin to see the casualties that every square inch of, of this world is being fought for, that the hearts of human beings are being fought for, that our children's hearts are being fought for, and there are casualties, then it should awaken us to a new kind of lifestyle, a new kind of living. The, the tragedy that our missionaries in the Dominican Republic say is that some people will live forever in poverty. And because they're living in poverty, spiritual riches are withheld from them because they live without physical riches. Because they're poor, the gospel doesn't go to them. That is a tragedy that we can do something about. Until we see that life is war, we won't know what to sacrifice for. Because you see, we make sacrifices, we do. But we do it for all the wrong things sometimes. He's saying if we see life as a playground, that's fine. But that's not the reality. We're ignoring the joint and complete witness of Scripture that says we're living in a war. And we're living in a war. The first thing we see is that if it's a playground, it's about us. If it's a battleground, it's about the mission of God. It's about the mission. Second thing that we see, if life is a playground, then prayer is all going to be about us, our wishes and our wants, our wants and our wishes. But if life is a battleground, then prayer is about life and death. Your prayer life began to reflect the fact that life is a battleground and we're at war our prayers would look a lot different than if we think prayer is simply about getting our wants and our wishes. If it's a playground, what you want, what you wish for, that's fine. You get whatever you want. But life is a battleground. I got a uh, message from, as our Ecuador going team prepares to go, 
one of our elders, uh, Min Park, is already in Ecuador, and he's planning the trip. And he sent me a text. He said, uh, Pastor, he said, we need more prayer right now. You know, <clears throat> if you've ever been to Ecuador, if you heard the stories, there's a, uh, uh, the airport is in Quito, and our base of operations is in the Amazon. There's a, a one, one road, right? It's a, it's a tiny little road that goes from, uh, from, the top, uh, from, from the capital up north to the Amazon area. And he said that road for two weeks has been washed out in 10 different places. Right? 10 different places. They finally got it fixed, but it took hours for us just to get to a place it should have only taken two hours to get to. Because we need more prayer. We need more prayer. Another pastor, a friend of mine, sent a, a text message to about 10 people or eight people and said, uh, there's a spiritual attack on my family. I've been getting bad dreams at night and, and my kids are sick and the doctors don't know what it is. We need prayer. And until we see what that life is war, we're not going to know what prayer is for. If prayer, if life is a, is a playground, then prayer is just about, there's this annoying guy in my class, help him to die or to move away. And I've got a, I've got a test next week and I've got to do well on it. If, if that's all prayer is, that we have to, we should pray for those things. Not that someone dies, but that they move away. That's fine. But that shouldn't be the scope of our prayers. If it is, we're missing out on an entire major section of the Lord's prayer. He said one thing, give us our, this day, our daily bread. And that, besides that, the rest of it, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If all we're praying is for our wants and our wishes and we're missing out on the major part of prayer, that prayer is warfare, that we're in battle and there's life and death. And prayer is about getting resources from base to the people in need. And that's why we pray for missions. That's why we do the work that we do. They said for every one soldier on the field, you need five people doing backup, providing supplies for them. Until we see, unless we see that life is war, we won't know what prayer is for. If you check it out, look what happens here. There's fighting going on on the battlefield, right? Moses says, choose some of our men, verse 9, and go out and fight the Amalekites. What are you going to do, Moses? Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Verse 10, so Joshua fought, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. Verse 11, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. Whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. Verse 13, so, Joshua, therefore, this is how, as a result, Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. He's making clear that the fighting was going on on the battlefield, that's true with swords, with armies. But the real battle was being fought on top of the hill. Moses, Aaron, Hur. Moses lifts his hands up, they're winning. He drops his hands, they're losing. Until we see that life is war, we will not know what prayer is for. The soldiers knew when it was done, it was the hill was where the war was won. It was crystal clear to them. What are they doing? It says in verse 16, uh, it says in verse 16, for hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. Look in uh, same, same book, Exodus 9, 29. It says, I will lift my hands in prayer to the Lord. And that's what he's doing. The real battle, gang, is being won, not by those who are doing the fighting that they see, is being fought on top of the hill 
as the people of God are praying. And this is why it is utterly important that, I mean, the, the, the verbiage that I use, I don't say this is the Ecuador mission team. I say this is the team that's going. We're all part of the team. Some are going, some are sending, but you have to be utterly convinced that if you're not going, you are still as vital to the mission as the 16, the 18 people that are going. Because you're the ones who are lifting up your hands in prayer. That's where the hill is won. See, for every military victory, you know, every war that's being fought, you think of the generals. You think of General Schwarzkopf in, in Iraq. Think of MacArthur. You think of Napoleon. You think of Churchill. But for every one of these people whose names you know, there were countless nameless people who were enlisted into the army whose names you will never know, who said, I will cast my lot in order that I will leave behind my family, my possessions, my everything, because I believe that the mission is worth it. There were unknown soldiers who were really determining the outcome of the battle, not the people you see up front. And that's what God is calling you, if you're not going, to be. And that's what God is calling you to be for the sake of a church and for the sake of a larger church in the world that desperately needs. Are you willing to be anonymous in order that the kingdom of God might advance through your labors and your prayers? Yesterday, one of our uh, rising seniors, Joshua Chang in high school, he wrote about commemorating. (laughs) I would never commemorate the 75th anniversary of a battle, but he did. The 75th anniversary of the Battle of Britain, where Hitler and all of his forces fought in the southern skies against Great Britain, and everybody thought Hitler's people were going to win. But against all odds, the British staved off defeat so that the sun did not set on the British Empire that day. I I was curious. I said, how, despite the odds, Did they win? Did the British fight off and stave off the attacks of the German Air Force? And he wrote a a bunch of things, but one of the things he said was Churchill's inspiring speeches that rallied the troops. And I think that's what most people would look at. Winston Churchill, the strong leader, great leader, great man, inspired rally the troops. But to me, the most significant thing that he said Right after that, he said, volunteers from around the world. He said, I will go. From around the globe, I believe in the mission. I believe in the allied forces. I believe in this, and we're going to go, and we're going to lay it all down in order that we might be part of something bigger than ourselves. Isn't this a kind man, for me... <laughs> I, don't, I haven't watched a movie in a long, long time. Not a grown-up movie, at least. I've seen Frozen about 16 times and Wreck-It Ralph. And, but when I could, I used to like watching, man, this is every guy, I think. We love watching movies about war, right? Like uh, Braveheart, Glory, Saving Private Ryan, Tegaki. We love these <laughs> movies, right? Why? I think there's something about it that says, I give my life for a cause and a mission that is bigger than my own life. They might take our lives, but they cannot take our freedom. It's to to see that you're part of a mission that's far bigger than your own life. Say, it doesn't matter if anyone knows who I am. Just as I bled with Wallace, I will bleed with this new leader. That's That's the heartbeat 
of a soldier who understands that we're in war, who understands that there's a mission that we're fighting for, there's a cause that we're fighting for, who understands that we will either live for ourselves or we'll live for a mission bigger than our own. And it's in every war, it's, it's the people up front whose names get the recognition, but there are countless people who say, I'm willing to throw my lot in there and to count myself amongst one of the innumerable masses who fight for the cause of glory, who fight for the cause of, of, of what is right and what is true. Outside of D.C., Arlington National Cemetery, this great tomb called the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And I love that imagery. Here rests in honored glory a soldier known only to God who represents the countless people who laid down their lives who are unidentified by family members but who fought in World War I and II in Korea in order to fight for freedom for a people who are oppressed. And when we see that life is war, we don't have to be the general. We don't have to be the one, the lieutenant, the admiral who gets all of the praise. But are we okay to realize that prayer is life and death for so many people? And to realize that I will give my life to that. That I'll go to my prayer closet even though no one will ever know. I will lift up my hands in prayer in order that the kingdom might go forth in Ecuador. So that more people might come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. To me, these are the real heroes. To me, these are the heroes. I remember a time when, uh, when we were at our old church building, and uh, every, every Tuesday morning, the group of, of, of ladies would get together, and they would pray at church. And they would pray for church, and, and then a lot of times they would come to me, and they would say, uh, pa- Pastor DL, we're praying for you also. We're praying for your, your congregation. And there's a group of people that to this day continue to pray. And people like James Ye's mother who says, to my dying breath, I will give all of my prayers for your congregation because you are the church. And we're going to die out, but you are the church. And I will lay my life down in prayer for your people. And these are the people that are shaking the gates of hell. You may never know them, but hell fears their prayers. They're the headliners in heaven. They're the people making the difference. I remember one time, as I was mentioning, I got called over into the gym. They, they said, can you come in? Well, will you, you want to come and eat lunch? They didn't really need me to, but they said, can you come and eat lunch with us? I said, okay. And there's this amazing spread, sushi and, and Korean barbecue and all this stuff. And so it was me, and I was eating with some, uh, some ladies. And so in my broken Korean, I tried to ask, what was the occasion? And they said, this lady, this is our prayer group. They said, this lady's going back to Korea. And I remember thinking to myself, in a sense, this food is great, but to me, that's not a celebration in, in, in my heart. Because I felt we're losing one of the strong, powerful, unseen heroes of our church. As she moves away, and, and maybe she's still praying for us, I don't know, but I just remember feeling like, yeah, we're losing a hero right now. There's a hero in all of us. There's a hero in all of us who begin to realize that life is not a playground, it's a battleground, and I want to fight for the sake of my church. I want to fight for the sake of the lost. I want to fight for the sake of the mission. Will you do that? Because the mission that we have to change the world is a whole lot bigger than one or three or five people. It's as big as the world, and it begins with all of us. Everyone who's committed to the cause of God, we need you. I need you. We need each other. We need our prayers.
the second thing, last thing, last thing. Sorry, I'm being a little bit choppy here, but last thing, last thing we see, if life is a playground, if life is a playground, then we can live complacently. But if life is a battleground, we got to live urgently. Life is a playground. Yeah, just go swing in your swing. Daddy, can I play more? Yeah, just keep on playing. It's fine. We have all the time in the world. If life is a battleground, we don't have time to waste. We don't have time to waste. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight. Tomorrow I'll stand on top of the hill. They didn't wait. So let's go do this right now. Immediately they're moved to action because they could not wait another day. They couldn't wait another day to get into the fray, to get into the action, to start fighting because life and death were at stake. If, if we could see the, the reality of, of life and death, the reality of war, and it would change the way we live, it would change the way we give, it would change the way we pray, it would change everything about our lives. I had this, um, I had this recurring nightmare. You know, you have, you, maybe you have this before an exam or the recurring nightmares that we have reveal deep-rooted fears within our lives. And this recurring nightmare that I had for, for many, many years um, was about the anxiety and fear of, of public speaking and about not being able to effectively do the work that God had called me to do. And so this is kind of how the dream would go. In my dream, I'd be sleeping and then I'd be awakened by something and it would be morning. And I would look at my clock and I would say, oh my gosh, I was supposed to be up five hours ago. And somehow my, either I hadn't, I, I, the alarm hadn't gone off or I had missed the alarm. And I realized that I was late for the place that I was supposed to go to bring a message to. And so I got my stuff together and I either ran or I would drive to the place and I'd get there and then everyone would be packing up. And I said, what, what happened? Where, where? It was, I was supposed to be here to, to share the word. And they say, no, we, <laughs> it's too late. We're done. It's over. Everyone, everyone's gone home. And I said, no, it can't. It, I, had, I was supposed to do this. And, and I realized that it was too late and I had missed my chance. And so uh, thankfully this happens before I was really in real life supposed to preach. I would missed it in a dream. But I'd wake up and I'd go to my desk and open up my computer with this, this, this sense of urgency that I don't have any time to lose. I cannot waste any time. I need to put my hand to the plow and I need to grind out because I've got to be up there and I've got to do the work that God's called me to do. Because I don't want it to be too late. The fact of the matter is that God has been blaring an alarm time and time again. He's blared the alarm through some of the things that we see on TV. He's been blaring the alarm through decisions that Christian denominations make. He's been blaring an alarm through Supreme Court decisions that are being made. He's been blaring an alarm, but we've been asleep in the light. Not hearing the alarms as it wakens us to a crying world, to a dying world, to a hurting world. And we've been sleeping saying somebody else will respond to the call. And as we look back, there's carnage of hurting people all around. And I... I feel this acutely, and I feel this deeply. I feel this deeply. It's easy for me to live complacently, and I do live complacently, to my shame. But this week, as I was at this retreat, at this synod retreat, 
I felt deeply the sense of, of, of weight and of conviction and of urgency. This is my third time going. The first time I went, I went as a speaker and I, I, I didn't, you know, I just went. I was gonna, I'm going to bring the word. That's it. That's all it is. Second year, I went to help to oversee the thing and, and there was a lot of stuff on my mind. But this year when I went, from the moment we got there, I almost felt like, man, I'm looking at my children. That's what I felt. I know some of you are older than me and you're thinking, well, you're, you're, don't, don't, you're making us feel old. I, I, I get it. But that's what I felt as I looked out at 230 people. And especially, and I said this for, as I looked out on stage, as I looked at them and I said, I feel like a father right now. You know, young people don't want to leave the retreat because they just want to be together. I didn't want the retreat to end because I wanted to be able to, to, to bring out the hurt in every person. I wanted to be able to minister to every person. I wanted to be able to pray for every person. I wanted to be able to deposit in every person who was there because I don't know if I'm going to see them again. I know when the next time I'm going to see them. I don't know if some of them are ever going to come back. I don't know when the next time is going to be. And there is a sense of urgency in my heart. That's why I didn't want to leave. Say, God, this is a generation that is hurting. They're in need of you. As I talk to people whose parents are in adultery, as I talk to children who are committing, wanted to commit suicide, you, you know these stories. But I felt it the way that a father would feel it for his own kids. I said, God, I can't, I can't leave this way. There was a burden in my heart for a generation that desperately needs Jesus and needs to see that we're at war. And that needs their older brothers and sisters to see that we're a generation at war. And that they are the fallout and they are the carnage. They need to see that we care about them. They need to see that we're going to fight for their souls. They need to see that we're going to go into our prayer closets and not just fight with weapons of the world, but fight and pull down spiritual strongholds using the weapons that God has given to us. We need to see the urgency because life is not a playground. It's not a playground. It's a battleground for the, and, and the battlefield is the hearts of every human being. Let me twist a knife in your heart just a little bit more and then I'm going to, I'm going to be done. But think about this for a second. Think about this. I, I was talking with, <coughs> over dinner, my boy Kevin was <coughs> telling this story, and I wish that he had told it at Synod, but he didn't. I told him, hey, you got three shots. You got to do it. He said, I can't do it first one. They do it the second. He, he didn't do it. So he, he told us, a uh, few of us, about this uh, couple, 70-year-old couple, grandma, grandpa. He said, they just got tatted up. <laughs> Seven years old on their wrinkly, pruny skin, they got tattoos, matching tattoos. The number 22. What does that mean? That uh, this, this uh, elderly couple, and I forget all the details, but they were in some South Asian country. And they saw this girl in a brothel. She gets sold so that slimy, People could have sex with her. Saw this girl and she said, you got to get me out of here. You got to rescue me. And their heart broke and they said, with everything within them, okay, we're going to do, we're going to use our financial resources, law, whatever it is, we're going to, we can get you out of here. And so they worked from that day. They worked to get this girl free. And every now and then she would, when she had a a stolen moment, she would steal a cell phone and she would call them and she would say, you got to get me out of here. You got to get me out of here. You gotta rescue me. 
They said, we're on it, we're on it. We're working as hard as we can, working as hard as we can. Get a phone call. You got to please hurry, please hurry. From the day she asked and the day she met them to the day she was freed in a raid, 22 days, 22 days. Within that 22-day period, 11-year-old girl was raped 198 times. They wrote on their arm, 22 days is 22 days too long. It's an urgency to fight because Satan wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy the lives of people. And our generation is being picked off because we see life as a playground and not a battleground. Because we don't enlist in the army. There's a soldier in all of us. Choice to fight is up to us. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? No one is guaranteed another day. No one is guaranteed another day. Until the day we die and see Jesus face to face, that we would fight. It's not about us giving our lives for a mission because lives are at stake. Urgency. And as we do, we remember, as we're fighting, true battle is not going to be won by what we do. It's going to be won on the battlefield of prayer, fighting to loosen the chains, just as it was in the days of Exodus. Same was true in our lives. Some 2,000 years ago, there was another battle, another unknown soldier, an unseen warrior. They saw him, but they didn't know who he was. They had known who he was in all of his glory, in all of his splendor, the Lamb of God. They wouldn't have nailed him to a cross. But he went silent as he stood accused, beaten. Mocked and scorned. And on that cross he hung. The battle in the grave. The war on death was waged. The power of hell forever broken. That's our victory. That's our victory. The stone was rolled away. And he rose from the dead victorious in life. That's the victory that we have. Victory is promised. It's ours. Forever he will reign. That's our inheritance. That's our destiny. He's calling us in light of your victory. Get up and fight. It's not a playground. Not a playground. Yeah, there will be joy. And yeah, there will be fun. And yeah, there will be moments where we laugh and we, we have to. Because even in the battlefield, there's joy in the journey. But the greater testimony of life is that we're in a battlefield. He's calling us to arise in the fight for the glory of his name, for the salvation of souls, for the expansion of the kingdom, for the glory of his name, so that the light of Christ might shine in every nation under heaven. Let's pray together. Guys, I really want to plead with you. And think about what could be done. Think about what could be done. Think about what could be done if we would begin to sacrifice for the sake of the church, for the sake of the kingdom. 
Think about the, the, the work that could be done amongst, you know, as our missionaries are out there, if we, would just, if we could give just a little bit more sacrificially. Our missionaries are on the ground in, in Thailand in places where sex trafficking happens. What would happen if we gave a little bit more sacrificially? Instead of buying five lattes a week, what if, what if we saved that up? We gave for the glory of God, for the sake of people who are in need of hope. What would that look like? How can we cut into the way that we live? Just a little bit. Instead of saving up for a cushy lifestyle when we're 65 years old, 30 years later, what if we gave so that people could live today, now, and come to the saving knowledge of Jesus? Can I ask and plead with you? Can we make some hard choices? Make some hard choices. I'm not going to go shopping for clothes for six months so I can give and, and, and give and give more. I'm going to work out one day less a week and I'm going to come and I'm going to pray. I'm going to make a commitment to house church. I'm going to do something, something that the life of Christ that he's called us to would shape and mold our lives. Please, we are the church with the hope of the world. There's nothing like that. No other organization, institution has been given to this earth to show the hope of Christ. It's us. It's the church. It's awakened to the dawn. Let's come and let's give ourselves for the sake of the kingdom. I want to give my life to this. You join me in doing it. Let's pray together for a moment. Let's pray together. Ask the Lord that he would use us. Take our lives for his glory. Spend our lives for his kingdom. Use us. Enlist us in the army of God. Let's pray together.